0: All right, obviously some good discussion on this one. Well, I have the uh, genetic advantage of procrastination, and so usually I'm not, but this year my wife helped me for the first time in 12 years of marriage get our tree the day before Thanksgiving. So pretty, pretty awesome. Now that it wasn't decorated till after, but anyway, I felt good about that. Well, I'm Jonathan, I'm the small groups pastor here, and I'm glad that you're here with us this morning, and it's a special family worship weekend, meaning our first through fifth graders are in here with us, so welcome to you guys as well. And uh, we're starting a brand new series today, and it's called O Holy Night. It's it's a pretty interesting series what we're doing. It's going to be four weeks looking at a few of the phrases from the song O Holy Night in light of the Christmas narrative of Luke chapter one and two and it's going to be culminating all the way up into our Christmas services and uh, by way of introduction uh, I just want to say that O Holy Night is one of my favorite Christmas carols and can you think of maybe what your favorite Christmas carol is? got it. Now here's a more dangerous question. What's one of those songs that you don't want to sing at church? And just to make you feel better, there's been times where there's songs I don't want to sing, but um, I wanted to highlight an article of a woman decades ago. She wrote in to Billy Graham and was saying, "The, the music director is introducing these new songs to church, and I'm not really a big fan of them. Can't we just sing the old hymns, should I complain to the music director? And Billy Graham, he he was very kind and uh, helpful and understanding, but there was one line from the article that stood out, and this is what he says. He says, the old hymns you like were once new, and someone probably didn't like them either. And wouldn't you know it, that Old Holy Night was banned from being sung shortly after it being written. One of our favorite carols, banned. Let me just tell you the quick story of the song. Um, there was a parish priest who had just renovated the organ, and for Christmas he wanted a new song. And so he hired this poet to write a Christmas poem. And this poet hired his friend to put music to it. The song was originally in French, and... That's the song we know of, O Holy Night. Um, But what happened was that it it was banned because they found out that the poet left the church, and they found out that the composer was Jewish. Pretty crazy. But here's then what happened. The song got translated into English uh, by John Sullivan Dwight, who was an American minister and an abolitionist. And if you're really paying attention to the lyrics of this song, you'd see how this would be a very controversial song at the time of the abolition. And and then one little quick side note is that "O Holy Night" in English was the first song ever to be on AM radio in 1906, violin and voice. Pretty 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 awesome. But uh, as we think about this song and the songs that we sing. There's another line from the article that Billy Graham says that I want to point out. He said, it would behoove us to meditate on the words of the songs we sing. He was kind of saying, don't let them become empty and wrote words, we know the words and we sing them, but they're not being sung out as a prayer. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today, and the the phrase that we have for today is, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. But before we jump in, uh, the reason we gather is to hear from God's Word, where the authority is, and hear from God. And so we want to pray as we enter into that time. So would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word reveals your plan for our redemption. In a world of darkness, you came to be light. We are rescued and remembered. Lead us by your Holy Spirit as we look to your word. Open our eyes to see the light of your truth. Guide us and shine through us that we might lead others to you. Father, we pray for our Advent services, um, our family friendly ones on Sunday evenings, for all the families that will come together for those, and those new families that might come to be there as well, that you'd work mightily through that time to shine light in the darkness. We also pray for those in this season that is more difficult loved ones lost. We pray for your comfort and your peace as they look to you in this time. Father, we all look to you right now that you'd speak to our hearts and help us respond well to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we jump into the scripture, I just want to kind of do a little subpoint point here. Uh, I looked at a recent survey of the top reasons people look forward to the Christmas season. So I just want to give you the top three. So number one is they feel less busy and they have more time on their hands. Number two is they feel less stress and less things to do. And number three, they feel more financial freedom and sense of plenty in their bank account. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's wrong. No, I just made all those up just put those up there. Hopefully you caught what I was doing there. Okay, now here's the real answers from this survey. Uh, 68% said spending time with family and friends, 11% religious services, 11% Christmas spirit of joy and goodwill, 5% music, decorations, and shopping, and 5% the end of the Christmas season is what they look forward to most. But uh, so when I kind of subtitle today's sermon, Three Simple Practices That Will Brighten Our Christmas Season. I know for some of you that might add a little stress, like I don't need any more things to do, but what if I told you that these practices are going to help you slow down, provide more peace, and help you enjoy the rest of the things happening this season? Because when I think of the lyrics from O oh Holy Night... Long lay the world in sin and error pining. I just think of darkness and bleakness and death. And we need to hear the truth and the light shine in our lives and in and through us to those around us. But how do we know what these practices are? So that's why we're going to look to the text. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Uh, If you're using a phone or tablet or in the NIV translation, if you need a Bible, they're in the seat racks in front of you. And in those Bibles will be on page 1,024, so Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Okay, lean in here. It's about to get good. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Okay, so this is one of those kind of story of God moments. Anytime that an angel appears at any point, they always have to say, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. There's a lot of fear that's happening. And so just... Real quick, I'm going to show you a few examples. What do you think an angel looks like? We've got a few options. So here's a couple of the first two. Is it the kind of cloud angel or the, uh, you know, the Cupid-style angel? Or maybe it's Clarence. Um, or, or is it the, the warrior angel? Well, based off the fear, I don't know. I'm probably going more with that last one. But let's jump back into the text. So verse 13. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Whew, okay, that's a lot to take in. How does Zechariah respond? 18, Zechariah asked the angel, "'How can I be sure of this? "'I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years.'" My wife is old, too. Uh, The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, the angel is thinking here, wait a second. You were super scared of me. You're a priest. You should know better. And you're still questioning me. Don't you know I stand in the presence of God? I mean, come on, man. I mean, that's, I I just, there's so much comedy that I'm seeing here. But, uh, okay, let's jump back in here. Uh, Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Okay, so this must have been the most epic game of charades ever. I mean, trying to sign that you saw an angel and he told you this thing that you're going to have a son, which you thought you couldn't have, and he's going to be the one that prepares the way for the Lord. I mean, how do you even sign that? It's crazy here, but what we see in this text is our first practice, simple practice we can do to brighten our Christmas season, and uh, it's reflect on God's story, to know God's whole story in Scripture. And, and maybe you've done our story of God course or you know the Bible really well and caught it, but we see a ton of God's story from the Old Testament, woven in and through this passage. And the birth announcement is just dripping with these illusions. And so just to do a few of them, I want to go through them together. And so the first one, we kind of already talked about this one, verse 13, do not be afraid. Anytime you see that, that's been a message from God. I mean, that is like all throughout the Old Testament. You should be leaning in when you, when you see that. Uh, the next one is, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Okay, What's that make you guys think of? Okay, Two old people and they're going to have a son. Yeah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Genesis. Okay, I'm going through these pretty quick. But the next one, he's never to take wine or other fermented drink. It makes you think of a couple other things. You know, maybe the Nazarites or probably more likely you thought of Samson. That connection there. Okay, the next one. Verse 16. He will bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord. Well, this is just straight up the role of the prophets. I mean, that's, that's what they were to do. And that's all throughout. And then uh, our last one, which is in 17. He will turn the heart's of the parents to their children, Malachi. Or as some people like to say, Malachi, the Italian prophet. (laughs) But I think you're seeing my point here, And, and there are at least five other books of the Old Testament alluded to, and so maybe as a challenge you can go back into this text and go, oh, what were those other connections that were happening there? But you're kind of going, okay, well, if I see all those connections, why does that matter? Well, let me just take a modern analogy to kind of help you see what I mean. And stay with me, even if you don't have the same affinity as me, but I am a huge Star Wars nerd. And I wanted to share a really quick clip from the most recent Star Wars trailer, Episode Nine, and then we'll talk about it right after it happens. So let's play that clip. Waited, and now you're coming together. Is your undoing? Okay, so if you don't know the voice of the person talking, you're probably missing part of the story if you don't know who he's talking about, you're missing part of the story. Okay, then what if I tell you, well, the voice of that person is the voice of the emperor from the other films? You might still be completely lost, but if you know who that is, you might be like, well, I thought that guy died in episode six. And he said some things in episode three that are really interesting. And what starts to happen is the story of Star Wars comes alive and you're more engaged with it and this is just modern fiction and so when we think about the story of God and looking at scripture and it's the true one living God doing something in and throughout history when we go to scripture it becomes much more alive and we're much more engaged but you also might be thinking well okay well if I see more of these things okay it's it's more interesting and, and more cool. Why, is, why does that matter? Well, here's the thing. When you get to see the living God move in and through his people through millennia, as we see in Scripture, you can start to feel a level of hope and trust that he is going to work in and through your own life as you've given your life to his. And this can be a huge brightening to your christmas season so take time to reflect on god's overarching story let's take time to do that personally and with our family and maybe for you that's having your family come to our advent services starting tonight at four thirty. the next three weekends um maybe it's a advent reading plan or maybe you just need to sign up for Story of God or courses starting in January. You can write that on your communication card. But take time to do this. It is going to be a huge, have a huge impact on your life and those around you. Okay, that was our first simple practice. Our second simple practice is to reflect on our own story. Reflect on our own story. Now, Zechariah in the text here has found himself in a forced season of reflection. His main way of communicating taken away. He's mute. He can't talk. And so he's doing a lot of reflection. And and there's not even Netflix. I mean, what is he going to do with all of his time? So just stick with me. He's doing a lot of reflection. And For many of us, this Christmas season, you know, can feel just so busy and many times slowing down, reflecting, and praying are the first things to go out the window. But we have to reflect our story uh, because it reminds us of how we were and many times still are comparing our story with other people's stories, especially during this season, and we can see the biblical authors are actually asking us to reflect on our story in light of God's story as it is part of and in God's story. Uh, there's a famous philosopher and writer, Soren Kierkegaard, that said this, this stuck out to me. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Life can only be understood backwards but it must be lived forwards. And it's in prayerful reflection of our own story, God can reveal unbelief in our heart, wrong motivations, and begin to move forward toward belief. See, we continue to have sin and error in our lives, but Jesus gives us worth and invites us to let him change our hearts, beliefs, and motives. Now, let me just give you a example of this. So this is my three-year-old Sarah and she loves to play princesses. I mean, this common thing in our house, Papa, can we play princesses? Papa, can we play princesses? And, and, and I do this a lot. And many times it's just fantastic, but there's other times where I'm doing it. Where I'm kind of like, this isn't really uh, mentally stimulating. And I'm wanting to look at my email or read an article or play a little game on my phone while I'll You know, I got this here, and I'm playing Cinderella with my left hand. And the thing is, though, but when I've reflected on some of these times, what I might be communicating to Sarah is that she has to constantly vie for my attention away from my phone. And when I reflect, I'm confident that Sarah and my relationship with her is way more important than whatever I have to do on my phone. I want to be better. God wants me to be better. He wants me to be more present with who I'm with and what I'm doing. And I recently went and saw the uh, Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks. And there's just a little scene in the film that stood out to me that helps make this point, is that he was talking to this reporter for the first time on the phone. And the reporter's asking him all, this, all these questions. At one point, Fred Rogers says, hey, do you want to know what the most important thing to me in the world is right now? And the porter goes, yeah, well, what is it? He goes, talking to you on the phone right now. Talking to you on the phone right now. See, Mr. Rogers was one who found his satisfaction in God and allowed him to be fully present with the people that he was with. And I can guarantee you he had done much reflection on his own story but to be honest a lot of us are afraid of doing this reflection or possibly even avoid it and especially me I'm the optimistic extrovert trying to turn everything into a party and I know consciously and subconsciously many times I'm doing that to avoid having to deal with stuff that's going on inside my heart. But God's inviting us to bring those things to him. And so take time to reflect on your life, your story this season. It might reveal some small and big ways God is wanting to change. And you might be going, okay, I don't know if that will brighten my Christmas season. That might like, be really convicting and kind of hard. But I guarantee you what it will do is it will help you be more engaged with the people you are with and the things you are doing, and it really will brighten your season. Okay, so we need to reflect on God's overarching story. We need to reflect on our story in light of God's story. And the last practice that we see today is that we need to reflect God's story to the world. And we see this happen, actually, once Zechariah's voice has returned, been able to speak. So we're going to jump back into the text to see where we're getting this last point from. And so you can open with me to 1026, or uh, we're going to be starting in verse 64 of chapter 1. Verse 64. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand is with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, You see, our world had laid long in sin and error pining, languishing. And much of it still is. So we wait on Christ's return and eventual renewal of all things. But we see that Zechariah's prophecy here of his son at the end is all about the first coming Lord, the Lord coming and visiting his people to forgive us and save us and lead us onto the path of peace. The renewal and salvation is coming and it begins in and through Jesus. See, Zechariah is preaching the gospel. And we know from verse 65 that the people in the hill country in Judea were in awe and talking about all this. What if we told the story of God in such a way that our neighbors were in awe and talking to each other about it? Well, how would we do that? Well, hopefully I've prepared you well in some of the things that we've talked about today because the best way to proclaim the gospel is to know God's story and know your own story in light of it so that you can reflect that to the world. And I I love what uh, N.T. Wright, a theologian uh, in London, says about this, being invited into what God is doing. And so N.T. Wright says this, when God saves people in this life by working through His Spirit to bring them to faith and by leading them to follow Jesus in discipleship, prayer, holiness, hope, and love, such people are designed to be a sign and foretaste of what God wants to do for the entire cosmos. What's more, such people are not just to be a sign and foretaste of that ultimate salvation. They are to be part of the means by which God makes this happen in both the present and the future. That's why God's story is so important. We needed him to come save us from our sin and error, our broken world. He came to restore and start the renewal of his creation in and through us, and he invites us to participate in that restoration project. So we need to know God's story. We need to know our own story in light of it. And our world needs to see and hear God's story. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you. That you did not leave us in sin and error. But you came and took that on yourself, Jesus. You've completely changed our lives now and for forever. Father, I pray anyone in here today that's not made that decision to to follow you Jesus to trust in you that you came to live die and be raised again to give us new life that they would put their trust in you now they would surrender their life now they would surrender their story to be in your story God I, I, as I think about all the people in my life right now who don't know you I sometimes feel just overwhelmed about how to share your story and what you've done in my life with them Would you just help me and those feeling the same today with wisdom, with guidance on how to do that. Because we know how much you've changed our hearts and our minds, Jesus, and we want other people to have you. Let us be your people. the good news. And we will need your help all along the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.